as you're seated, you can turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. After the uh, shooting in Uvalde, some of you may have seen a graphic that was posted on social media that showed the number of school shootings per country from uh, 2009 through 2018. Uh, the U.S. has had 288 uh, school shootings, followed by Mexico with eight, South Africa with six, India with five, and so on. In fact, the the 18 countries that were listed on this graphic ex outside of the U.S., so those three plus Nigeria, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Brazil, Canada, France, Azerbaijan, China, Estonia, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Kenya, Russia, Turkey, those 18 nations, mostly first world countries, in those nine years had 43 school shootings while we had 288. In the first 145 days of 2022, the U.S. has experienced 145 mass shootings, which are defined as four or more people having been killed. And if you compare those numbers to other nations like us, the richer first world nations, again, we are an outlier. Uh, bodies of fellow image bearers were still being buried, are still being buried in Buffalo and Uvalde, and, and then we hit Tulsa and Ames on the news cycle. Like, what in the world is going on? We, we are pro-life to our core, so the lives of these image bearers being killed senselessly matter to us. This increasing and crazy amount of violence matters. And this is not me trying to come up with a position that you should take or solutions. There's time and place for that. This is just space for us to lament and to grieve and to wonder, God, what, where are you at in all of this? What's so great about that, America? The shining city on a hill, the great Christian nation that we are supposed to be, right? It's not only a source of grief and lament, but it's even a source of fear. People are scared, living life scared. And for the entire history of our nation, it seems that when things get scary, we don't necessarily turn to the Lord. We just go am, uh, gun up, buy more ammo, buy more guns, because we're, we're going to protect ourselves. We're going to keep ourselves safe. It feels like the Wild West. Like who watches Westerns and thinks, man, I wish I lived in those days. That looks like fun. So it, deep inside of our souls, we see this and we're crying out, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come back. Come back and make all things new and set all things right. Bring about the eternal state where we know there will be no more violence or hatred or murder or mental illness or revenge or racism or and, and hate. It will all be gone. Come, we're ready. But he hasn't. So, we, like the last 2,000 years of followers of Jesus, are waiting for him to return and make all things new and set all things right. And part of the reason he hasn't returned is because there's still work to do. Matthew 24, 14, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, not geopolitical nations, but people groups, ethnos, language groups, and then the end will come. And like we also get this, so deep in our soul, we lament 
the brokenness that we see in our culture, but deep in our soul, we're like, but still there's hope because of Jesus. And we, we want to see people sent. And so we celebrate the, the V family and the Sharp family that's heading out this week to go to these unreached people groups and desiring and wanting to see more of those who haven't heard. We're celebrating sending out Sydney today to be trained and equipped to be sent in the future to those who haven't heard of Jesus so they can know this hope that we have. And then one day when the Father says the task is done and only He knows when that is, then He will look at the Son and say, go get your kids, go get our kids. It's time. The end will come and all things will be new. And that's not scary for us. Like the eternal state for us isn't like, oh, I don't know if I want all that. It's going to change so drastically. No, we're like, that's home. That's home. Like you know how you feel when you've been away from home, like on vacation or a trip, and you, you walk into your house and it's, ah, this is the smells I like. This is the bed I like. These are the rhythms. that I, It's, it's going to be that multiplied exponentially forever. This is home. This is the way we were created to exist and live and thrive. And so what do we do living in this in-between? We see the sorrow and the brokenness of our culture and our world. We know there's coming a day when that will be over. How do we, what do we do until then? Some, some will retreat. Someone outside the crossing emailed me this weekend that they were struggling and they just decided to not answer text. Uh, because they need to pull away from society right now because it's just too much. Some will try and coast and just kind of get by, kind of like the C or D student who has the ability to make A's, but not the desire, and so they just use enough of their brain to get C. I'm not talking about the C or D student, that's the best they can do. You pat them on the back, I know, that's the best you could do. But the ones who could make A's, but they just are like, a C is good enough. And so some Christians will just coast. Yay, we've planted a church. Let's just do enough to keep the doors open. Some will get sidetracked, distracted by other things that seem easier or more gratifying because they are easier. Anything that will distract us from the hardness of our mission or the hardness of sin that's running amok in our world. It's more fun to pour all my time and energy in this. Dale Moody said that our greatest fear shouldn't be the fear of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Some will respond by, let me just get mine. That's kind of what everybody else is doing. So I'm just going to live to get what's coming to me. And we're just kind of fighting with everybody else to get our share, our take. All of these options, everyone in this room is constantly tempted with. But I really believe that deep down in the core of our soul where Jesus is, we all know that we are alive and here for much more than that. Much more than retreating or coasting or living distracted lives, chasing temporary things or just living to get ours. Jesus is alive in us for us to enjoy him and to walk with him in such a way that how we live will display who he is to this deeply broken world. And this book of James helps us do that as much as any book of the Bible. It's not easy. In fact, it's impossible without Jesus being alive in us to help us and empower us. But because he is alive in us, then it is possible. 
And that makes all the difference. We don't have to retreat or coast or get by or live distracted lives chasing temporary things. We can, as we've seen already in James, we can go through trials and see and trust that God is at work. Not only to grow and mature us through trials, but we actually can experience joy knowing one day we will be rewarded by how we go through trials. We get wisdom from God to help us do that well when we struggle to see that. We can use our wealth and our riches for the good of others and not just for our our own indulgences and growing our personal kingdoms. We can fight against sin and temptation and walk in holiness instead of just blaming God for the struggle with sin that we have. He is a good father who gives us all good gifts. And that begins with life and salvation in Jesus. And that brings us now to this next set of commands, which would be impossible, but are possible because Jesus is in us. So beginning in verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Good and perfect Father, we thank you for laving us with your love, for giving us every good gift through your Son, Jesus. We worship you today. We ask that by the power of the Spirit, you would make us doers of your word and not just hearers. We thank you for blessing us with faithful co-laborers in our region, like churches like First West. Bless them as they gather to worship Jesus this morning. Help us and them both rightly represent you as we gather this morning and, and strive to worship Jesus. Help us to live this out every day and it not just be a check-the-box Sunday thing. Let us find the best ways to partner with ministries like Life Choices, to value image bearers who are expecting to bring life into the world so that they are loved and cared for. We pray for those who have been sent to reach the unreached pupil groups. We pay, pray for the V family and the T family. Let you continue to provide for them, protect them, bless them, help them. We pray for these people groups that you would give us more and more faith, more commitment, more boldness, more resources, more people so that we can see brothers and sisters of Christ come from the Wanchi and the Aceh and the Baima and the Bonin and the Tongren, Tibetan Jone, the Laz, the Zaza and the Mandor. We pray and we grieve with families in Buffalo and Uvalde and Tulsa and Ames as they mourn the horrific murders of the last few weeks. We pray for local churches in those cities that, that you would strengthen them and encourage them and provide resources to help these grieving families that they would be able to see the hope and the life that there is in Jesus even in the midst of unimaginable sorrow and grief. 
And Father, we ask your help this morning as we walk through your word. Teach us, help us to see, help us to believe, help us to, to receive from you what you have for us. We're in desperate, desperate need of you, Jesus. We don't need to just sit and have another sermon bounce off our heart. We don't need to just go through another worship gathering. We need you. We need to meet with you. We need to be loved by you. We need to be changed by you. We need your spirit to do work in us that only you can do. It's only, it's the only way there's any hope is if you're, if you really are who you say you are and you are alive and you are at work in your people, through your people to those who don't know you. And so help us, help us, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to be walking through this entire section over the next three weeks. And it's a section that digs deep in how our relationship to God's word does work in us and then through us. And context is essential to understanding the Bible. And so we have to be careful that we don't just hear a sermon today on how to control your anger without hearing how it's related to humbly receiving the implanted word. It's all connected. So today we will focus a lot on this two verses about anger. What we're really looking at over these next three weeks is how it's the work of the word of God in God's people. And this was actually introduced last week uh, where James walked us through verse 18 in the book of James. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God's sovereign, free, providential choice was to make us alive in him through the word of truth. Same truth is written about in 1 Peter 1.23. Because you have been born again, how are we born again? This is the second birth. We're born of our mothers. That's our first birth, natural birth. How are we then born again, born of God? Not of in a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. This word of God spoken of in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him was not one thing that was created that has been created. And, in the, and, and then a few verses later, verse 14, this word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So this word of God that was with God in the beginning, all things were created through this word. This word took on flesh, and we know that's Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God, this word of truth, same expression here in verse 18, is Jesus. And we know who Jesus is, not because he's still alive and walking around and we can go up and have a conversation with him like he was for those brief three years in Palestine. But we know who he is because those people who did walk with him, who did hear from him, wrote it all down for us. And this word of God, the written word of God, has been preserved, translated, recorded, passed down so that we hold in our hands a very reliable, accurate copy of what they first recorded in the first century. And this is how we know Jesus. Jesus told Thomas when he doubted, Blessed are you, Thomas, that you believe. Blessed are even more those who have never seen me and believe in me. There's a greater blessing for us who've never laid our physical eyes on Jesus, but we have believed through the living and written word of God, the testimony of the scriptures. And this is the message of Jesus that we proclaim. And we've believed 
This is how the gospel spreads. This is how we make disciples. We make disciples of all nations as we proclaim his gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all Jesus has commanded us. And so from our perspective, there was a time in our life where when we began to believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, we, her eyes were open. I'm a sinner. Like I, all I, the, the bent of my heart is I want to be God. I want to live life my way. I want to be in charge. I don't want to do life the way God wants me to do it. I want to do life my way. And we, our eyes were open and we realized that's sinful. That's rebellion against the God who made us. I'm hopelessly broken and lost. And it, it may have shown up in more explicit sins like true rebellion. Yet there is this man, Jesus, who loves me, who died for my sins and rose from the dead to give me life. This is good news. Although all I deserve is death and condemnation and wrath of God because I'm a sinner, Jesus has chosen to love me and die for my sins and give me life. And so I can turn from loving my sins to loving Jesus and repentance and begin to follow him and treasure him. And there are some in this room who can point to a day and time which you remember that happening. Like it was very radical and, re and transformational. Like you remember where you were. I I've traveled with my family uh, years ago to a place in Arkansas to this creek bed where I picked up a rock and I have a rock somewhere in my house I have no idea where it's at from this creek bed where Jesus came in and made me alive Jennifer on the other hand can't do that and that's okay and that's some of your testimonies you can't point to a time and place but you know that over time Jesus changed your heart and now you love him and you treasure him and you're trusting in him and you're believing in him that's from our perspective how salvation happened. But what God was doing in all of that was giving us birth by the word of truth. Or as Ephesians 2 says, making us alive in Christ Jesus, resurrecting us. And we know now that we're in the family, we know this work of God's word and God's spirit began in us before the foundation of the world, before, before we were ever aware of him and his work. We realized we didn't save ourselves. He saved us. We didn't chase after him. He came chasing after us. It's only by his grace. And then our eyes were opened and we embraced him. It's really important to remember all of that as we continue to work through the book of James. So in light of the fact, by his choice, verse 18, he gave us birth by the word of truth, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. In this entire section, we're going to get a bunch of good, solid, moral teachings and exhortations. Like these verses, later in verse 21, ridding ourselves of moral filth and evil. Later at the end of this section, about pure and undefiled religion is caring for orphans and widows. Yes, do those things. But why? Why these things? Well, for one, in particular regarding anger, this was a problem in the, this particular church. We'll see later on there was an issue of favoritism of the rich over the poor that was causing division. We'll see a whole section in chapter 3 about how impossible it is to control the tongues. That we're just, and, and we even see a little bit of this in verse 26. They just were saying things to each other they shouldn't say to each other. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, what is the source of wars and fights among you? This church struggled in getting along. He could describe their, their conflict as wars. 
What is the source of this? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? So obviously, personal conflict between believers was an issue in this church. So addressing this for James makes sense. It's practical. But also, because it's the necessary, uh, it's, it's the necessary and obvious, and I would say uh, evidence of God's work, word at work in God's people. Addressing anger that we express in sin is necessary and obvious because it is the evidence of God's word at work in his people. To the degree that this is not showing up in your heart, to the degree that anger and and lashing out at, at people in anger or letting anger build inside of you, and you're not trying to, to fight that, our goal is not to fix ourselves but to run to him. And the ongoing presence of sinful anger could, in fact, be evidence, because of what it's rooted in, we'll get to it in a little bit, could, in fact, be evidence that you are not his. So it's absolutely essential to deal with anger that shows up in our life. It's not something to just say, well, that's just my Enneagram number. And it's okay if I'm angry, because that's my personality. We are a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, funny thing is, I bet if we could survey our culture, not even give people that this is a, a clue this is from the Bible, just ask them, should we be good listeners? Should we listen before we speak? Should we not live an angry life? I bet it, it would be like north of 9%, believer and unbeliever, who would say, yeah, that, that's a good way to live. That's a better way to live. We should be those kinds of human beings. But then if you follow that up with the second question in this survey, well, do you think then, if that's the, a better way to live, do you think those phrases describe the majority of our culture? Again, I think it would be like over 90% that would say, no, actually I don't think that describes our culture. doesn't feel like our culture is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Even though most of our culture would say that's better, most of our culture doesn't live in this way. And though it sounds like kind of pithy, healthy human sayings you might see printed on a Starbucks cup, this advice is actually deeply rooted in Hebrew wisdom in the Old Testament. Proverbs 13, verse 3, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see someone who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. Or as Mark Twain rephrased that verse, it is better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. It's almost as if someone who really knew humans and how we were wired and how we function best wrote wisdom that could help us live and thrive if we live a certain way. Like maybe someone who created us. And that's what we have in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, specifically the Proverbs. This is how life works best if you live in this way. And in the common grace of God, some of that wisdom makes sense to all people. There's good financial wisdom in Proverbs that all people say, yeah, that's how you should handle your finances. That's how you should have interpersonal relationships with people and not express anger. That's how you should have a healthy marriage. 
It's a better way to live, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If that's true, so true that even non-believers recognize its value, then bare minimum, it should show up in the people who actually have the power to live this out, right? But we struggle. We struggle. Uh, you want to struggle with anger? Uh, work on a sermon about anger. <laughs> and you're struggling all the way up until worship gathering. We struggle with these simple sayings, being slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix others with my outrage. No, listen to me. And, and we'll be in these conversation groups with people. And while someone's talking, we're no longer listening because we're planning what we want to say. And as soon as the last word finishes in their mouth, we jump in. And when we jump in, what do we expect? Quiet. What I'm about to put on you is so good. Everyone should listen with rapt attention. Don't interrupt. Let me finish. But what are they doing? As soon as you say your last word, then they're jumping in. And it's like this verbal feeding, feeding frenzy. These sharks, like it's exhausting to, to, to be a part of those conversation groups. At times you sit back and like, what are we doing? Why are we talking like, why are we fighting for air and fighting for our words to be heard? So we struggle with this being quick to listen because we're quick to speak. And then we struggle with these outward expressions of anger. And that's definitely what's being addressed here. But for the introverts who are sitting back and quietly, smugly patting yourself on the back, because you hardly ever are that person who's quick to speak, just know that there's also inner anger that can build and grow and eat you from the inside out. Because you can sit quietly in the verbal feeding frenzy and listen to all the extroverts scream and yell and fight while you smugly walk away congratulating yourselves for being so amazing, but maybe growing inside of you as a bitterness because no one is caring enough about you, what you have to say, or valuing your words. And everyone else is getting it wrong and they won't listen to you. You see, anger gets us all. Outward aggressive anger inward passive anger we all struggle yeah but what about when anger is justified in mark chapter 3 jesus went into the synagogue on the sabbath and came across a man with a shriveled hand a man who couldn't take care of his family because his hand was mangled and he couldn't work so jesus had sympathy and compassion on him but it was the sabbath and the religious law says jesus couldn't heal him on the sabbath and so what was really going on is this test Jesus was being put to a test by the religious leaders. Will he heal this man on the Sabbath? And, of course, Jesus knew this. He perceives what's going on. It's not just a man he can help. The religious leaders are watching. And he says in Mark chapter 3, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath, to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them in anger or with anger, he was also grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he told the man, Stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. This was so serious that the very next verse says the Pharisees went out and conspired with their enemies, the Herodians, about how they could kill Jesus. That's how serious they took this. Mark chapter 3, they're ready to kill him. But it wasn't time. Jesus had much more work to do. This trivializing of human life to play games of power and politics, we know nothing of that today. But back then, Jesus was angry at how that man was being treated. And he responded 
with anger and grief and then power, healing. Paul would say in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin, implying there is a way to be angry and not sin. And so in the nature and character of God, we do see this ability to be angry and not sin because God doesn't sin. And so in God's people, because he lives inside of us, we can do the same thing. We call it righteous indignation. Our anger can be justified. But how do we know when our anger is justified and when our anger is simply sin? Well, part of that can be seen in this passage in James. Human anger is slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Some of it's timing. Godly anger is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Godly anger isn't rash. It's measured. It's not an explosion. It's a direction. Directed against sin and unrighteousness and not directed for self. Human anger creates regret. It's almost always followed by apologies because of the damage that's been done. It leaves damage. Godly anger anger is angry at what God is angry about. Sin. Sin that is destroying or dehumanizing image bearers, for instance. Human anger cries out for self. I was wrong. I want to be right. I want to be heard. I want to be valued. I'm important. It's driven by me, myself, and I. My schedule is the most important schedule, so all traffic should clear the way for me. No one should hold me up because my time is the most important time. Godly anger is driven by God's glory and the care for others. It's never driven by I. It is slow and patient, driven and determined. Human anger will blow up social media with hot takes and rants. Godly anger will work for months and years and decades through processes and plans and coalitions to bring about necessary change. Human anger is driven by a love for self. And when self isn't getting what self wants, you're going to hear about it. Or if my personality doesn't warrant me blowing up, then I'm going to suffer because I'm going to let it build inside of me. But it's all driven by love of self. Godly anger is driven by a love of God and a love for others. Godly anger will, in fact, actually sacrifice self for the good of others and the glory of God to be seen. Human anger will explode or build inside because of perceptions, assumptions, slights, or what might be sin. Godly anger will be directed against actual sin. This is clearly wrong. I'm not just making stuff up in my head about you or this situation. No, this, is, this really happened. It's really sin, and we need to deal with it. One author put it like this. Does God allow his people to express anger? Yes, he does. But only under these circumstances. You are reacting against actual sin. You are more concerned with the offense against God than the offense against yourself. And you are expressing your anger in ways consistent with Christian character. And as we can all testify, this kind of righteous anger is difficult and rare. If we were really honest we would have to admit that a vast majority of the anger that we experience or that we express is not, in fact, godly, but in fact, just sin. But it's even hard for us to be honest because we love to be right. We don't want to be wrong. And so really why this is so necessary to deal with this, especially in 
conjunction with God's word and our relationship to his word, at the heart of human anger is spiritual pride. I need to be in control. I need to be right. I need my way. I need to look good. My image of myself must be maintained. This is the heart of spiritual pride. And so anything or anyone that threatens my control, my rightness, my way, my image, that must be destroyed. And so you get my anger. The spiritually prideful person cannot receive criticism. It's one of the key ways that you measure how much spiritual pride you struggle with. How well can you hear and receive critique? Critique chips away at the image of myself that I've created. And if this starts to be chipped away, oh my gosh, it might crumble. And so then in fear and pride, I lash out to protect, to be back in control. It's why the spiritually proud so desperately need the gospel. Because the gospel helps us be okay with the reality of how absolutely ugly we really are. How spiritually broken and sinful we actually are, yet still loved, yet still valued, yet still wanted. It's okay. This is safe. Like put all your ugliness on the table. The one who could most rightly condemn you for your ugliness doesn't. But in love comes closer to you and embraces you. The reality of who we all are in the ugliness of our sin doesn't even push Jesus away, but we in fact get more of him. When we're honest with him about who we are, like read the Gospels, read the Gospels and see how Jesus deals with the ugliest of the ugly in that culture, the most sinful of the sinful, when they're honest about who they are. It's always grace. It's always love. It's always embrace. It's always healing. Who did Jesus have the hardest words for? Those who thought they were fine. Those who said, you can't come at me with anything. I'm the ones who are doing it right. You see how this spiritual pride is what drives our sinful anger? And the remedy for spiritual pride is what we see in verse 21. In humility, receive the implanted word. We're going to spend more time on this next week. But how do we receive something that we already have? It's implanted. What does he mean receive what you already have? Well, we'll look at it. But basically, we submit. In humility, we submit our lives, our emotions, our minds, our will to the word of God in us. It's another reason why the Spirit of God lets James, James use anger. Not because it was just, just an issue in the church, but because human anger is rooted in spiritual pride, which is the antithesis, the opposite of how we are called to live a humble, fully submitted life to God as king and ruler. Human anger sets me on the throne. I have to be right. I have to be heard. I have to be valued. I have to get my way. But the life of Jesus has come to give us his life, a life of humility and submission to God, where we say, you are in fact king. You are the boss. You alone. What you want from me, that's deep down what I really want. Even if it means suffering, hardness, difficulties. Even if it means others will not listen to me or value me or think that I'm as important as I 
want to be. Ultimately, I trust you, Jesus, to be king. You make a much better king than me. So this is why James says in verse 20, human anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. We're such fools, right? We're such fools. We can so justify our anger in the name of rightness, thinking foolishly we are on the side of right and truth and truth and light. But it's just human anger that doesn't even accomplish God's work. It just spreads more sin and hurt. We're not even doing the thing that we think we're doing. Well, you just don't know me, Jared. You don't know how I've been wronged. You don't know how I've been hurt. And you're right. I don't know the depths of your hurt, and you don't know mine. And even if we shared those with each other, our empathy can only go so far. And so don't hear me saying that our hurts shouldn't lead to action, but our hurts do not have to lead to sin and more sin because we're acting out of human anger from our hurts. This is why if we feel like we need to express godly anger, we have to be closely connected to God's word and God's people. God's word will evaluate us and our motives as we submit to his word that ultimately will determine truth and rightness. But then we also submit to our brothers and sisters and we come before them and say, should I be angry about this? And then we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak and we're slow to anger. If we would put our hurts in a crock pot and not a microwave, it would increase our chances of helping accomplish God's righteousness instead of just spreading around more sin. Only one man accomplished God's righteousness through human anger, and it wasn't his anger. But it was the human anger of those who would illegally arrest him, illegally put him on trial, and execute an innocent man. Jesus suffered at the hands of sinful, angry humanity. He could have called down legions of angels and slaughtered everyone who was guilty of this criminal act. And he wouldn't have been wrong to do that. But he kept silent and suffered so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be born again of God, that we could become the righteousness of God. This is who we are in Jesus. This is who we'll always be in Jesus. There's nothing more secure in our lives than our identity, our standing, our being in Christ Jesus, the validation he gives us, the justification he gives us, the love he gives us. That is the most secure thing in your life. So therefore, lose all your money, lose your job, lose your reputation, lose your hopes and dreams, lose your family and your friends. Lose everyone who says right now they are for you. Let them all turn their back and walk away from you and abandon you. Lose it all and you will feel all alone. And then you will look and next to you will be the shepherd of your soul. The great shepherd of your soul holding on tight to you and saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never abandon you. No matter what you go through, I am for you. I am with you to give you everything that you need. He is that for us. I will always advocate for you before your enemies. I will always have your back. You are secure in me in the ways that matter most. You can have the whole world. 
Just give me Jesus and that is enough. Now, if Jesus, the king and ruler of the universe, feels that way about us and that never changes, do we really have to have our way? Do we really have to have our way? Do we really have to blow up in anger or build up in anger because various other sinful image bearers don't value me as much as I think I should be valued? My validation, our validation doesn't come from people but from Jesus. And that's always secure. He did it all. And so live free, brother and sister. Live free. That's what he's come to give us. So today at lunch, Let's practice. Let's see how we do. Because of all the work that Jesus has done, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let the introverts lead the way. Like you're waiting so long that finally one of them speak up. Yay! And I skew introverted, so I'm, I'm talking to myself. By the power and peace of God, let's live out this reality this week with each other, with people that are hard to love, with people who might not even like us. It's okay. Jesus is with you. He will help you. If you don't know Jesus in this way, he is here to give you life. And today can be the day of your salvation. So now we want to transition and begin to prepare our hearts for this meal that we share in every week. In this time that we're about to have, this time of quietness and examination, this could be the, the time in which you say, I am a sinner. I've rebelled against you, God, but I'm trusting in Jesus. He is sufficient. Jesus, uh, it, through, the, through the weekly communion meal, we see in the broken bread, the broken body, and the, and the cup of fruit of the vine, the juice, the shed blood of Jesus, we see our sins are so bad, it necessitated Jesus, the only Son of God, to come and die for our sins. We are so sinful, he had to die. Yet, we are so loved, he was glad to die and pay the price for our sins. And every week we share in this meal, we're reminded of this reality. So who can share in this meal? You, you can share in this meal if you are a baptized, repentant follower of Jesus. If you believe today, yes, Jesus is sufficient. Even if this is the first day you believe it. And today is the day of your salvation. Today you can share in this meal if you say, yes, Jesus is my Savior, my King. I'm trusting Him for life now and forever. You can share in this meal. But if you're here today and you don't feel that and you have sin in your heart that you're holding on to that you don't want to repent of, and you're like, nope, I, I want to hate that person. I want to uh, be angry at that person. Whatever it might be that you're holding on to, I want to keep indulging in this sin and make it my little secret sin. If like, the deep place of your heart says, I don't want to turn away from that sin. That, that sin is my treasure. Jesus is not my treasure. And I would exhort you, do not share in this meal. First Corinthians 11, there were believers who were getting sick and dying because they were holding on to sin and sharing in this meal. So you decide if you should share in this meal. The table is open to all who would repent and trust and believe in Jesus. So we're going to take some time to listen to the Spirit of God speak through the Word of God, allow the, the examination to happen, and then when you're ready, you can come and receive the elements, and then Jesse will lead us through. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you've done to give us life.
even now as we take these few moments to be quiet and to sit and to listen, we, we need Jesus to speak clearly to our hearts. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would hear this resounding voice of Jesus deep inside of them saying, I love you. You are mine and I am yours and there is no sin that will separate you from my love. And this morning we would drink anew and afresh and enjoy anew and afresh the joy of our salvation. Our right standing before God because of Jesus. But for those who are holding on to sin, to those who are not trusting in Jesus, I ask that you would speak words of repentance and life that is available to them. You are here. You are here to save. You are here to give life. You are here to reconcile us back to the God who created us, to make us a new person. And Jesus, I pray you would do that in the hearts of those who might need that today. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name.